Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but <clears throat> I'm still your host. With me today, I have my lovely, shiny, new co-panels, Mr. Cody Bontecue. How are you doing, Cody? Hey, hey, everyone. I'm, again, very happy to be here. Loving life. Happy Wednesday. Yeah, it's just that terrible weather in Hawaii. You got to feel the pain for Cody. It's yes. just awful. Someone's got to do it. And also with us, uh, we have our returning occasional guest host panelist, Mr. Eric Hanshed. Everybody knows Eric. How you doing, Eric? Hey, hey. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always Appreciate a pleasure it. to have Eric back. Eric, uh, for those who might be uninitiated, is has a long history as a YouTuber program with Eric on YouTube and is also a now a DevRel at AWS. Amazon. So we have had a couple of episodes in the past where we've gone into de detail about some of the stuff he's worked on. Uh, so you can go back and listen to those for more detail. We'll put links in the show notes. But we just like to have Eric on because he knows a lot of stuff and a lot of people. And plus, we had a guest canceled today at the very, very last minute. <laughs> so we'd like to have Eric on anyway. So don't take it. We're only having him because guest canceled. We'll take him any day. For I'll sure. Happily. But uh, yeah, so we're just sort of winging it today, uh, considering the, the last minute cancellations. So before we uh, we started uh, recording, we were talking about some of our development histories and programming histories and languages we like to work with, you know, other than Vue, you know, Vue being the, the top of the heap, of course, since this is a Vue podcast. But uh Cody was telling us about uh, what, what I already forgot Elixir and Erlang, and the uses for that. You know, we do we do allow for other programming languages, and realize that Vue isn't the uh, hammer when everything else is a nail. So we'll we'll diversify our, our topics a little bit today. Sure, I mean <clears throat> Vue is definitely the gateway, right? It's what people there you are go. It's a gateway drug. That's right. Yeah, it's it's what it's what gets us into that client side. Good good goodness. And it, in fact, you will use Vue. So, um, yeah, I've been exploring Elixir uh, in some of my free time to build out um, real-time uh, distributed systems. So I have a personal project that uh, I built out with Supabase on the back end originally, and it interacts with streamers. And I'm not going to go into too, too big of details of the app because it's, it's not really there yet. When I initially launched it with Supabase, I hit uh, the, I think it's 1,000 concurrent user limit um, almost immediately and just like completely broke the app. Um, and I realized like that's Supabase's limit. Um, and when dealing with streamers, you tend to need closer to like 20 to 50,000 concurrent users per streamer um, in each individual like socket space. Um, and so that, Either you use like a pre, like a, uh, other than Superbase, there's something called, I think it's Pusher. And uh, that costs a lot of money for just like a side project to get it to scale like that. I think you're already enterprise level um, payment systems. So you're paying hundreds of dollars. So I decided to just build it out on my own. Um, and so for those not familiar with Elixir, it is a functional programming language built off of Erlang. Um, <clears throat> and Erlang is a programming language built to solve, I think, like telephone communications, um, just like highly uh, scalable distributed systems. 
Uh, so anyways, I'm going on a tangent, but it's been very fun, very different from JavaScript. And uh, hopefully I can release the system sooner rather than later. So a couple things there. One, let's clarify what Supabase is. If I remember correctly, Supabase is like the open source version of Firebase. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. Yep. Okay. So is it like, do they have like a, a SaaS platform where you can use it from there? Do you have to self-host it or, or both? Or how does that work? Yeah, so, so both. Um, so they have like a, yeah, they have like an easy to use uh, online SaaS platform. It, it's very similar. It, it creates like a very easy to use like authentication system. You just you just like npm install Superbase JS, and now magically within your Nuxt or Vue application, you have OAuth, you know, Superbase.auth, and you pass in like Twitch or Google, and it's very easy to integrate with these third party auth platforms. And then it also has you know, all of your easy to use, like you can define your database relationships um, and it just like magically creates um, a typed API where you can just say like superbase dot and then whatever your table name is and then like dot fetch all, something of that nature. Um, and then yes, there is a self-hosted platform, but I, I actually haven't explored that too deeply. Um, I just kind of hit limits and realized uh, this probably isn't the solution for me and kind of moved on. Uh, but for like very simple or not even very simple, I'm sure it could scale in other areas. I just don't think their focus is on uh, real time. I will say um, Amplify, AWS Amplify, the project I work on right now is compared a lot to Supabase. Uh, mm -hmm. And we have like very similar things that we offer too. I just have to give a little plug there. Because <laughs> once you mentioned like being able to create like a open a library that just in a few lines create talk to uh, authentication and and use like GraphQL or, or schemas to connect your database. That's exactly what AWS uh, Amplify has too. Yeah, <clears throat> and honestly, I'm a big fan. Um, you can really um, kind of avoid a lot of the backend engineering um, for most like CRUD apps that people actually imagine um and you can just use one of these like off-the-shelf systems with like a ui to just kind of toggle what you need and you're good to go um so that that tends to be where i have been building for the last couple of years i try to just avoid as much back-end engineering as possible um but that's when you do start hitting limitations is when you have to kind of dig in and build your own solution um, at, at least part of the solution. I, I have read that one of the solutions is actually just having my own kind of real real time server and still utilizing something like Supabase or my own REST API that that server communicates with my real time server. Um, but I I haven't gotten too deep into that. Where did you end up uh, hosting the uh, the Elixir app? Oh, it's not even hosted. I'm <laughs> very much in the the hacking phase of just local development. Um, in fact, I'm I'm taking it very slow. I just yesterday went in and um, <clears throat> like got near 100% code coverage on on um, like kind of the logic that I've built out so far. Mm. And um, and then, you know, I was just playing around with uh, GitHub Actions to make sure that code is ran every time I push to GitHub. And then there's actually this, like, uh, 
package called X coveralls that I can then, um, uh, you know, it generates that code coverage badge and <clears throat> gives you an interface to see all of like the functions that you've tested, um, things of that nature. I remember playing around with Elixir years ago. We were talking a little bit uh, offline before we started. And I just remember like wrapping my brain around going from TypeScript, like a type language, like JavaScript, and then going to a completely functional language. Like there's just some paradigms where you're like, oh, now I have to like kind of map through this a certain way. It's like you have to, you have to kind of think differently when you move over to it. Would you say that's true? Oh, 100%. It's funny because I've been writing TypeScript for probably two or three years now. And prior to that, I was a, a Python dev. And I, I like genuinely prefer writing TypeScript than Python, even for minor scripts. Like just having the ability to like have the autocomplete and just like those, those errors that occur, like, hey, you know, like this value doesn't exist or um, this is assuming any, like it, TypeScript is, is wonderful. And and that is a big issue going into Elixir. It's kind of like a black box. There's a, a layer of like guessing. And did you use? Uh, I know when I was doing it, when I was more learning it, I think I can't remember. I was just trying to Google it. There was a command line utility that that I, like it was a game almost that helped me like learn it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, interesting. No, oh. no, no. <laughs> I do. There is a a CLI tool. I think it's called IEX, and mm -hmm. it, it's it's really nice to just kind of hack around and, and recompile certain modules and, and run run functions on the command line. Now, so there's Elixir too, which I guess if you're in the Ruby world, you can say that's like Ruby. And then there's, what I use is Phoenix. And that right. was like the Ruby on Rails equivalent. Is that what you're, you're using? Yeah. Yep. That's kind of what I'm dipping my toes in now is mm -hmm. that, yeah, that, it, that kind of helps you create your, um, your HTTP endpoints. Um, yeah, exactly. But it something that I haven't quite figured out is like where the real time starts and ends. Um, I don't know if the entire framework is just always real time or if there's uh, th that that's kind of where I'm getting to next is basically I've built out like this HTTP like server that I can use, um, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything special. It feels like I just built out my server and um so I feel like I'm missing something. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the way to, that I learned it is there's a guy, um, his name's Dave Thomas. He's actually one of the authors. Oh, Wendy's, of, right? Yeah, so, so I was going to say, <laughs> the guy that founded Wendy's? Yeah. Oh, I, it's a different uh, maybe, Dave Thomas. <laughs> maybe. No, it's a different one. He gets that all the time. Um, Cody's yeah, probably he, too young to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but no, Dave, he's the uh, one of the co-authors of The Pragmatic Programmer. Oh, which is okay. a very famous book. And so this course, it's only $30 and it's like 10 hours of amazing content. Honestly, it's very thorough. Um, so that's kind of been my approach so far. But yeah. ultimately, yeah. this will all be hooked in. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's his yeah, name. For those of you watching our YouTube channel, I'm holding the program at Pragmatic Programmer book. Yeah, he also wrote the, Elix the Elixir book too, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I know Dave McCord. He created, helped create Phoenix, and he has the, a Phoenix book that I hear is pretty good. At least it was a couple of years ago. Yep, I think that's his name. 
Uh, did that book rise from the ashes? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so question for oh, you. Chris question. You, Sorry. My you talked Chris about um, Erlang. It was Elixir was version of Erlang or came from Erlang. What was the relationship there? It's uh, built on top of Erlang. Built on top of Erlang. So you know how we have Go. And Go goes by Erlang. So can you call Erlang just Er? Same type uh, of thing? Or? <laughs> No, no okay. you could you can try. Just wondering, you try. Yeah, people would say, "What the heck are you talking about?" So Erlang, as far as like I was googling, I'm googling it just right now. It's like it came out in 1987. It's been around uh, 37 years, and the stable release was the 29th of June, as of this recording, 46 days ago. So it's been around for a long time. So it was ran on old Unix systems. I was going to um, say, like a and, mainframe type system or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's probably where the history of the PBX, like phone system came came into mind. Like they were li- really literally used it for um, telephone exchanges okay. back in like the late 1980s. Um, and it was grouped by like, uh, yeah, it, it, um, it has a long history in the telephony switches industry. And then uh, the... Elixir kind of was built on top of it. So being like a much more modern take on it. But I think you can still drop down to Erlang if you have to. Uh, but I heard it's a very, uh, not not the easiest language to work with if you're doing like per, pure Erlang. It's like going back in time. It's almost like you're doing <laughs> like a, a compiler, like an old language that 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 isn't around anymore. Yeah, it's... Um... What they use WhatsApp is based on it, or is built with it, right? Yeah, I think I think most uh, like pretty much all messaging applications, so like Facebook Messenger, Twitch Chat. Um, there's a, like basically all of these highly scaled uh, real time systems uh, rely on this language, which kind of blew my mind. I, I thought that was like nobody hears about it, but it's you probably use it daily. Uh, does it is it like a server base as compared to like say a mainframe system like COBOL or something like that? Now we're we're behind we're we're before my my days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm reading Wikipedia here. That's interesting, it's, huh? It's like a distributed, fault tolerant, soft, real time, highly available, hot swapping uh, yep. type of system. At least Erlang was. It, it still is. Yeah, I was thinking about messaging. Um, systems there's RabbitMQ is one i've heard about and there's another one and they're both based on erlang as well it made sense you know if it's if it's designed for you know real-time message passing mm-hmm. so, yeah interesting yeah it, it's it is interesting and it's it's there's a lot to learn from it it's very different from any other programming language i've used before and so it's it's kind of it's definitely stretching my brain in terms of like how to architect how, how to like archetype my entire project and um like what's possible within code i'm assuming it's a compiled language also right as compared to like a scripted runtime language like say php or something yep yep exactly um yeah you do have to recompile but the phoenix live view which is kind of like their web their kind of server-side rendered system uh does have like uh what is it like what is it? Hot, hot module re- reload, uh, oh, or okay. it just reloads on code change. 
Um, oh, okay, that's nice. So you don't have to change, compile, change, compile, change, compile no. type thing. No, o- only when like hacking in the command line will, will you have to do that. It has its own package management system too, which is kind yeah. of interesting. I think it's called Hex, but you use Mix to use it, right? And so you can, yep. just like NPM, you, there's there's a million different packages out there for anything you're trying to do. So you can kind of quickly get up and running. Yep. Yep. It, it actually like surprises me how similar it is to, um, like my code can look very similar to just like writing JavaScript functions. Um, but I don't know if that's just because I'm used to writing functions in JavaScript. Like I, I that's kind of my thinking is, there's probably a more like functional, more Elixir-like way of writing this code that I haven't figured out how to utilize yet. Um, but otherwise, it's very similar. Interesting. So, so tell me again what this app is that you're building with that you're talking about Twitch streaming <laughs> and hundreds of people for per Twitch streamer. What sure, sure. Yeah, we could talk about it. Um, so it's called CoStream.app. And so again, there's there's no real time functionality in it yet. Um, but uh, uh, I I enjoy esports. I'm an esports fan. Uh, I enjoy League of Legends, World of Warcraft, things like that. And so every week there's like a professional League of Legends match. And um, what's become popular in that community is um, there's the official broadcast which is the League of Legends, you know, on their YouTube channel or their Twitch channel. But people then mute the broadcasters because the, the official broadcast, they just have like entertainers as broadcasters, which that's all it is. It's entertainment, but it's not very insightful. And so, and then what you do is then you create a second tab and that is just the stream of a pro, whether it's like a current pro or previous pro and you have their volume on. And then there's like this timing aspect where you connect the in-game time of the official broadcast with this professional streamer's broadcast. And then basically you're you're watching the broadcast with professional commentating. And so it's it just creates like, in my opinion, a much better viewer experience. And so um, this app, CoStream, is, is just like making that a nicer interface um but the reason i want real time is to now give the streamers the ability to uh like draw on the screen so all of the viewers can see it or or rewind and pause the video for everyone who's viewing um and so uh yeah so if you're on like post you so yeah so let me know if you have any questions about that or need clarification so sort of like the John Madden Telestrator, right? Where you can be over there drawing on the TV <laughs> right. and check this exactly. guy. He's got the awesome hair over there. And no, I'm just kidding. No, no, it's it's exactly that. But with um, anyone, anyone can tap into that. So if you're a streamer and so this would be like you're a streamer and you're watching a stream of somebody playing League of Legends and there's an announcer and you want to be able to switch back between the announcer stream and the person you're watching stream? Is that what I'm hearing? Right, right. And so, um, yeah, exactly. So you, so you basically mute or lower the volume of the official stream and just listen to the main streamer. Um, this happened the yeah. other day. So I I like to watch Twitch. And I'm so I'm 
I don't have enough time to play games anymore. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I got two kids running around. I got you know, <laughs> traveling and all everything. But yep. I do like watching other people play games, um, especially competitive games. Like I watch a little bit of League of Legends. My kids like Fortnite. So sometimes I, I watch Fortnite, nice. see the Fortnite guys play. And I, I watch these like professional streamers that are professionals that are in like grand finals. And and I do see sometimes where I'll watch one of my, my favorite streamers uh, and and they'll be watching another stream on their stream. So they'll do reaction content to that stream. I guess it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to describe. But sometimes they'll they'll go back to the like the, the official announcement because like Fortnite has like these official announcers. But then they'll go to that then the person there one of the people in this big tournament will be also be streaming. So then they'll switch to that person's stream and watch them for like 10 minutes and then they'll switch back to the official stream. And it's always kind of maybe a little bit of an awkward transition. Uh, so yeah, maybe having something to like combine those two or yeah, I, I could see there's some use definitely from some of these larger streamers that yeah. do things like this. Yeah. Yeah. For, there, there is. And that, that's kind of where I hit this like limitation was I was, I was starting to get um, like literally like tens of thousands of users. And so when I like, I like soft launched this feature and just had one streamer. I don't know if you know Double Lift, but he's a he's a very popular League of Legends streamer mm-hmm. and pro. And um, so he like reached down. He's like, "Hey, I want to use this feature." And so I turned it on for him, and I just like immediately started running into errors. And so I talked to the super base guys, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like <laughs> we don't. <laughs> sorry, we don't support that." Because um, because most you know most real time systems are just like chat rooms or like you know, chat support, just a one-on-one type of environment. It's rare when you need like a one to 20,000. And so I, I understand why they don't support that. Um, mm. Yeah. That's so what does cool. that mean for your app then that you got to switch out Superbase for something else? Yeah, exactly. That's what I've been working on slowly but surely. Um, originally, I was just like, well, I guess I'm just not going to do this feature. Um, but then it, it's just like intellectually enjoyable. I like think it's just a fun thing to build, I guess, and explore. What, what's the website for it? What's the plug for it? Do you the, have like a website? The, yeah, I mean, it's very crude. Uh, CoStream.app. So it's again, it's very niche. And so you're not really going to see much on the landing page because what, what happens is the streamers build out their own URL and then they share it on the stream. Oh, so it's just kind of like basically here, build your stream, and then it'll just kind of generate what you need, and then they'll they'll share it uh, for their particular like thing that they're co-streaming. Basically. So they're streaming from another from Twitch also. Yep, Twitch, and eventually I want to do YouTube and and like uh, I think Creo uses uh, Africa TV. Um, yeah, exactly. So you're basically you're viewing two streams, hopefully someday more than two. If you because some of the co-streamers do it together. And so if you could watch like both of their faces or um yeah. So this is sort of like the Manning cast on ESPN, right? For Monday Night Football, where you got the game going on and then somebody else over talking sort of over the top of of your main broadcast. I imagine with like NFL, you know, imagine if you're watching the Super Bowl and instead of hearing the broadcasters, you're like tuned into Tom Brady sitting on his couch. Mm-hmm. And he's just like talking about, or you have multiple players talking, and you have like the NFL's pers- or the sorry the quarterback's perspective, or 
a kicker's perspective, whatever whatever you want, and you can kind of tap into these viewpoints. As, yeah, that's as, sort of what ESPN and other people are trying to do. Because if you watch any big game, you'll see, you know, four or five different channels of you know, here's a group of coaches sitting around talking about yeah. the game, and here's yeah. a couple other people, and and then here's the main broadcast and stuff. So and, you're yeah. what you're basically trying to do, if I if I'm understanding you correctly, then is instead of having predefined channels of this and this and this, the mm-hmm. user can sort of pick and choose, okay, I want to listen to this guy and I want to listen to this guy all while looking at the same main right. broadcast. Right, because you can't host your own, you know, like I can't show the main broadcast on my site and like users can't stream their main broadcast. And so it's kind of like this area where you know, I can watch the main broadcast. I just can't watch it with your face on it. And so, um, so we've just kind of like mutually agreed that we're going to watch the broadcast at the same time. And I'm watching the official broadcast just with your voice. It's yeah. very interesting. I like this whole like streaming space in general, like just mm-hmm. kind of fascinates me. I've been getting more and more into it because I'm being a developer advocate. I'm trying to get content out everywhere. Yeah. from like YouTube and, and streaming. And I, I the other day, I, I tried streaming on Twi- Twitter, now X, I guess, um, which was actually a lot easier than I thought. I just had to like, I'm using StreamYard. And so I just had to like put in a key. I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, I wonder if I want to like start streaming on, on Twitter. I don't have like a huge audience on Twitter, by the way, if you guys want to follow me, Eric CH. But I don't have a huge following. Um, but I was thinking like, well, this is kind of an interesting thing. And there's always like, you listen to these streamers too, and they, everybody has like hacked setups. Some people are using OBS, like this uh, broadcast software. And then they have a bunch of plugins that they use to like make their screen perfect and they use these overlays to like make it look like it's a game system. And then they have their chat playing on the right hand side. And these are all just like plugins. It's very, if you're a developer and you want to have fun online, start getting into the OBS because there's so many like, even if you don't like live streaming, there's so many like plugins and ways to do video and you can really have this very unique setup. People, I watch a couple of streamers, uh, software developers who stream. Uh, Primogen is one of them. Yeah. Uh, man, that guy's blown up in the last few years. Uh, if yep. you don't know, he does like this. He's a big Rust guy and Vim guy and he just he's really funny, entertaining on camera. And he does a Twitch stream, I think almost every other day now. I think... He's, he's does a lot of them, but he has some crazy setup where he has things are like alerts are popping up on the screen and then disappearing. And then he'll watch a video, a YouTube video, and he'll react to it. Um, it's definitely interesting. If you're like a good developer and you're good on camera, there's like a lot of possibilities of things you can do, especially if you like start deep diving into all the plugins and things like that. Uh, if you don't like any, any of that, then there's other software like StreamYard that makes it much easier to just press a few buttons in your live, but you don't kind of have, can't like do as much of the, those custom things. Yeah, no, it's honestly, it's fascinating to watch like Primogen and Theo. Some of these more in trash, I guess they're, they're just like a very, um, like while they're technical, they're incredibly entertaining too. Like they've somehow fused memes and programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely a little bit of a, too like it's it's more entertaining a lot of times especially when you watch some of these guys mm-hmm. that rather than learning so you kind of have to take it like and it has a little bit of of like commentary that 
you know, some people may like, some people don't like, like some very strong opinions on things. Yeah. Uh, but if you like that type of, of programming, it's it's a great way to go. I kind of like, I like to watch it sometimes just to see like what's the hot topics that people are talking about and chatting about. Yeah, and there's there's three or four of these big streamers that just kind of ri- rised up in the last few years. Melky is one of them too. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually works at uh, Twitch, which is their parent company is Amazon. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I um I was actually just listening to a West Boss uh, podcast mm. yesterday. Uh, he does an interview with indie hackers, mm. and so they they kind of just explored you know the business side of his course creation. And um, one of the things is like he, that kind of stuck with me is he is very uh, reactionary. And so he, Wes, doesn't feel the need to kind of pave the way for like future technology. He just kind of sees what's hot and builds courses around it, writes blogs, explores. And so I've noticed that, especially on t- Twitter, um, lately a lot of people are talking about HTMX. Uh, which I, I think is kind of like a Python in the browser. I, I haven't explored it too much. Um, but I it, it's interesting to see. You see it on Twitter very often, just like, oh, what's hot this week? And, you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, Rust, go, HTMX, what's, what's next? Um, and so I, I can see, you know, there's a never-ending stream of, like, content creation opportunities there. Um, it's, yeah, there's there's a couple of different, there's the content creators that kind of do teaching, like education content, like I do. And then yep. there's the content creators that kind of go for this more uh, reactionary type feel to it, more maybe sometimes entertainment, sometimes some hot takes. And you kind of get that type and those are fun to watch too. And so, yeah, you get a whole bunch, but it's, it is kind of, ex- to not to bring this down, but it is a little exhausting to like kind of go through the newest trend every week. I don't know if our listeners can relate. So like if you start going to, to Twitter, I'm just going to call it Twitter, not X, but everybody yeah. knows what I'm talking about. If you go through Twitter, like every week you're, you're seeing like a new trend pop up of something crazy happening in, in the ecosystem, uh, like HTMX or uh, maybe Superbase comes trending or or some of these other technology. Next, 13 with the app router seems like it's been pretty trendy to talk about and people's either likes or dislikes of it. Uh, AI, of course, has been big since the beginning of the year and mm-hmm. all different tech. Now that's gone, AI is beginning so big, like there's, there's influence or tech Twitter people that that's all they talk about right now. And so if you subscribe, if you follow them, you can hear that. But it does get a little exhausting because it feels like things are just changing so fast and opinions are changing and everybody has an opinion. And then some guy will come in with some hot take that that's like almost borderline, like it could probably maybe offensive to some people. And, and then you get like these geek wars, like one side doesn't like the other. And yeah, it's a little exhausting. I've, I've been definitely trying to on Twitter uh, to mute people. And not that I don't like them. It's just like, I don't want to hear some of these topics and, and just kind of co- coordinate my, and threads too. If you moved over to threads, you can do the same thing. Um, just to kind of get the people, not an echo chamber, but like diverse ideas, but people that aren't kind of being on that side of, of crazy content. Yeah, <clears throat> 100%. This is um, like kind of something I experienced within the last year or two is, uh, 
like the transition between Nux two and Nux three was kind of difficult for me. Just uh, this idea of like, oh, I've like gotten very comfortable with Nux two, but Nux three just broke everything, at least in my mind. <clears throat> so now is a perfect time to learn Next and React. You know, that's where all the jobs are. Let's go explore that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the more I like learn Next, I just realized I could. It's just solving the exact same problem, and so I wasn't trying to learn and create i was just trying to solve the same problem a second time or a third time and, and that i realized was exhausting and so that was kind of when i just doubled down on nux and learned nux 3 and i was like oh wow this is actually this is beautiful i really enjoy nux 3 now um but i've ex and i experienced that even at work I, I work at an agency so we hop between projects pretty often and so you know one project's we're doing database queries in Postgres. And then the next project, we're using some sort of ORM. And then the next project, it's a different ORM. And it's like, man, we we're solving the exact same problem, but I have to just like learn the syntax <laughs> over and over again. And that's that's not that's probably the most exhausting part, I think, is like we're not I'm not spending my time solving problems. I'm spending my time learning how to solve the problem a different way. Not necessarily better, just different. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It, it, that, yeah, once you learn one language, programming language framework, it's easy to move to another. I just did a video on this uh, recently about, you mentioned about where all the jobs are at. I've seen this. <laughs> I don't know if this is a new trend that's been popping up or just I've been noticing more lately. It's like, X technology, there's no jobs in X technology. Like there was a big Twitter thread like Flutter, there's no jobs for Flutter. And some guys like, I've been looking. And then you see, every now you can see Vue.js, there's nobody hiring for Vue.js developers. Uh, and everybody's going to react. And I just feel like this this theme comes up over and over again. And and I always say like, there, there, there is, there's Flutter jobs out there. There's Angular 2 jobs. There's, there's Vue 3 jobs and Vue 2 jobs. It's just... Uh, you know, it's really dependent on where you're, where you're at, what location you're at, um, how far you're looking to to go either locally if you're looking for remote. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's definitely jobs out there, and maybe some places. And there is, can be there's definitely more React jobs out there. That's true. Uh, but we all agree with that. But you can find your own niche out there. You can find, if you look hard, you can you can find these other jobs. And if you are a Vue developer, it's so easy to transfer that knowledge over to React. To get a React job, even if you haven't had a ton of React experience, if you know how to create good architected view apps, know understand how component design works, you can learn hooks and you can learn a lot of these other things and jump into those other languages and frameworks. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's the key. Really, is just um, learn and explore in the environment you're most familiar with and enjoy the most. And I, I do think it's much more valuable to get like a deep, deep understanding of something like Vue or Nux than like a very shallow view of both Vue, Nux, Next, and React, right? Because mm -hmm. once you get into these deeper areas of these frameworks, it's super, super easy to transition them. It, it's just that, that syntax change. It's like, oh, this is, how do I solve this problem, but in this language, you know, and it's, it's a chat GPT will hold your hand the mm -hmm. whole way for that one. Oh, yeah, definitely use that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did too, when I started doing a lot more React work at AWS, is I had amazing code reviewers that knew React, you know, mm -hmm. since, you know, 2014 or whatever, and they knew it inside and out, and they had really great in-depth code reviews. So as someone that 
primarily worked on Vue and Angular uh, before I worked at AWS. Um, I joined AWS about three years ago. That it was great having those reviewers come on and be like, "Hey, by the way, um, this there's a better way to do this," and giving me some feedback. One thing I always like naming, like different types of naming conventions, is always hard in software development. Having really great uh, reviewers helped on that once you're in a good team. Nice. So even if you are able to move over one language to the other, just having good code reviews is great. Yeah, just as a reminder, remember the, <clears throat> the two hardest things in computer programming are cache and validation, naming things, and off by one errors. Yeah. <laughs> classic, classic joke. Sorry, yeah. we're kind of like straying away from your uh, from your app, Cody, but I thought... Oh, no, 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 that's... This isn't... We're not here to talk about <laughs> my app. <laughs> it's all good. That was just sort of the launch pad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just out of curiosity, Cody, since we are view, we'll throw this in a little bit. What uh, on, on your your CoShare app um, is what's what's your front end? What's the stuff that you see? Is that coming from uh, Elixir That's as Nuxt. well? That's oh, it's Nuxt. Okay. Yep. So yep. Nuxt. Nuxt three. So I, I kind of built this as a way to learn Nuxt three, um, and so it's using Nuxt three, and the whole the whole thing is in the composition API. TypeScript, mm -hmm. script setup. It, it was it was more of like an exploration, and then um, it just kind of got popular, and so now it's now I'm just like oh, um, no, I, I, now the front end's kind of set. Like there's not really much more to do in the front end outside of just like maybe educational content of like here's how you use it. Um, but I I mean the majority of people that I kind of like advertised it to um they, they know how to use it but i'm sure there's always more you can do there um, did you yeah. use... oh sorry interrupt. did you use server island components no this is <laughs> uh no i didn't but uh we did just talk to daniel last week and i'm 100 percent gonna look at that moving forward because this site's mainly static there, there's not much um I think it would be a good use case for it. I, I did a video on it. So we can, I don't want to keep saying I did videos on it, but I did a video on it. And I had some lot of little issues with it. Um, mm -hmm. And the video did really well. It has like, I don't know, 10, 15,000 views. So a lot of people are interested in it. But I had like a lot of little issues. I wish I, I need to talk to Daniel and figure out what I was doing wrong in a couple of those places. It feels like it's, uh, it's a little, it's great, but I think it's still very, very beta. I think it needs some work compared to what I've seen on like React server components. I think are farther, uh, next server components are farther along. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it, it was really interesting to talk to Daniel about it because he he cleared up a lot of uh, like why you when when and why you should use it. Because um, that's kind of the perspective I'm getting from like Twitter and the React side is like, oh, you can always use it. Um, but but that. From Daniel's perspective, that that's definitely not the case. There, there's very much like a clear use case for these tools, and it's not just everything. Um, mm. And so that's, uh, I do find that interesting, and I'm curious how much of it has to do with like Next and like Vercel's relationship. Um, but now we're just getting getting into the weeds there. But I, I see. Is this your a look at server components and server actions video? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Um, that's yeah. That sounds awesome. 
because this is that is like the next frontier. I actually just applied for a talk to ViewComp Toronto um, mm. about Nuxt server components. So hopefully that gets accepted. Um, but I would love to dive deeper in there into that. Yeah, I, I submitted a, a CFP to Toronto too. We'll see. Maybe I'll see you there. We'll see. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. I've never been to Toronto. That's that's. Uh, I was I was at ViewConf earlier this year. I try to make ViewConf every year. Every year I'm like Steve. You're gonna be at ViewConf, and every year he says no. <laughs> One day he will come. I think I will. Right. I promise. I will be there. I will be there it's... at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but uh yeah, I made it. It was it was super fun. But I've never been to the Toronto one. Um yeah, I wanna I wanna see what that's all about. I got my passport ready, I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's so that's actually the only view conference I've been to is ViewConf Toronto in twenty nineteen. Um, so right right before COVID started happening. And at the time I was a very new view dev, maybe like one ish years of experience, maybe a little more than one year. And um most of the talks went over my head at the time, but I'm still like reflecting on that conference to this day and applying a lot of the techniques or rewatching the talks or using the tools that were mentioned four years ago. Um, and it, it's just very valuable. And it's, it's interesting to just be exposed to these ideas. And it's like, oh, that's, that's how you can do this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what year did you go? I, I want to say it was 2019 um, uh, okay. in in Toronto. Yeah, it was. Does your does your work like give you? I know some jobs give you like one or two conference tickets where they'll pay for the conference and they'll either pay for your travel or pay for some of your travel. Does mm -hmm. your work allow you to to do some of that, or they only allow you to do if you're speaking there? You know, that's a good question. Um, if you they, can't talk about it. It's okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> um, so, so yes and no, they, um, they kind of make me jump through hoops. Um, I like, you know, it's like, hey, if you ever want to go to a conference, uh, we'll pay for it if you're talking. It's like, okay, great. So I, I just got to talk accepted. I'm going to be going to Spain next month to talk wow. about um, actually awesome. iOS stuff. Um, and then, uh, so it's like I reach out and it's like, oh, because it's not in North America, we can't pay for it. And it's like, oh man, okay, well, <laughs> so so I'm paying for that one. I'm paying for the plane ticket out of out of pocket, but the conference is covering the rest, which is really nice. And then, so we'll, we'll see what happens with Toronto if I get accepted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that close I've enough? To, I've talked to so many people, like as I've been traveling around to more conferences that are in the same space where you were. I I, I talked to one guy. Um, I don't know if I should say his name, but amazing developer. But mm -hmm. he pays his way for every conference he goes to. He, he lots, a lot of conferences he applies to are smaller and they can't pay for the travel. But a lot of times they'll pay just for the ticket or maybe they'll give him lodging. But he's mm -hmm. paid out of pocket for like all these conferences he goes to. And it's like a commitment. Like he has to take time off for work. Sometimes his work will give him time off. Sometimes they won't. But I'm always like, man... I don't know if I could do that if my work wasn't on board or had make me pay for part like these big trips by myself. I mean, Europe or where do you say Argentina? Where was that? Spain. 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 Yep. Europe. Spain. I get that'd be amazing. I'd probably probably pay myself. To yeah. Travel Wife's to coming there. along. We're gonna make a trip out of it. Oh, so. so that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. But but if it was like normal trips going from the West Coast, to East Coast, East Coast to West Coast, and paying that out of pocket, I I wouldn't do it. 
Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, I, I just read of somebody who recently put something on Twitter saying something along the same lines. It's like, you know, I, I originally just wanted to do like three conferences a year, but this year I'm doing nine and all of it's out of pocket. <laughs> and like, um, but hey, if anyone needs a dev advocate, like I'm looking for a job. Um, that's kind of the, the gist of it. And maybe he's getting some NIL money, you know, name image likeness money, like college sports. Maybe <laughs> that's how he's able to do it. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's definitely a lot of value in getting your, your face out there. And, you know, if that's kind of your, your goal or, you know, the kind of the whole personal brand thing, but I, you really have to capitalize on that, I, I think. And um, like, that's a lot of money going to nine yeah. conferences out of pocket. Oh, it's a lot of money and time. So that, or, I'm yeah, fortunate. That, this, go ahead. Go Sorry. ahead. Sorry. Well, in delaying it, this, I was going to say that the, the developer we're talking about, he, he posted publicly, it's J.D. Hillen. He's an yeah. amazing developer guy. And he also has, uh, he was at ViewConf. Uh, he did a talk there. Um, so anybody's looking, I think he mentioned he's, he, he'd love to do developer advocacy. Um, but yeah, he spent a lot of money out of pocket to travel to a lot of conferences. Yeah, so I'm actually curious. You are a dev ad, developer advocate, and I'm I'm curious: is that part of your job description? Like, or is the expectation that you go to conferences? And I I'm, I imagine they pay for all of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky enough to be at a company where the developer advocates kind of get to choose what they want to do. So nice. some developer advocates get to they just love creating content. So they'll create lots of blog posts and lots of videos. Um, some developer con developer advocates really like the testing part and like giving feedback back to product. So they might be doing that. And then some other developer advocates like travel. So um, I, I, I like travel, so I don't like to do it, you know, every week, but you know, every occasionally, uh, once every month or two, every few months. Um, so that's, that's the way I like to to, to go and, and to travel around and, and talk to developers and do talking uh, meetups. And, and usually my, my qualifications to be going to a conference is I have to either be, we have to be sponsoring the conference or I have a speaking spot are usually mm -hmm. the two things that I have to, one or the other to be able for me to go to a conference. The kind of the days of me just going to a conference for fun is not uh, happening anymore just because like, it's kind of my job to go to conferences. Uh, Cause I, it's what I choose, what I like to do. So, but if I'm speaking at one or I'm uh, we're sponsoring it, then then I'll go to it. Now that's kind of how how it works. And a lot of a lot of developer com companies are they they have budget, so they have a budget of how many times, of, or they have a developer advocacy group in their org, and they have a budget of how many places they go to, and they have rubrics and and they create spreadsheets of like how many people are going to be at the conference versus how many people they're going to reach. Uh, AWS, at least in my department, isn't uh, as specific as that. So we just kind of make judgment calls when when we get invited to conferences or we get accepted, our CFPs get accepted. It's a pretty fun, nice. it's a fun job. If you, if you like personal branding, you like doing podcasts like this, you like talking to other developers, uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad gig. Some people do get confused. Uh, some people think developer advocates are marketing or not really marketing. Some people think developer advocates are um, uh, don't have technical skills. Like, and ninety nine percent of developer advocates I've worked with, you had a career in software development before they moved to developer advocacy. 
some there are some like right out of college or some newer developers who just moved into developer advocacy right away. But I think most of us have had several years uh, software development experience before we moved over. Uh, but it, it's a fun job. I like it. I mean, it sounds. I can talk about it all. I can talk about it for another hour. You know, of course, <laughs> we're we're about fifty minutes in. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe for another show, or I'll, or I'll DM you with more questions because I I, yeah. I am curious so about the developer advocate lifestyle. That that sounds fun. It's the jet setting lifestyle that everybody wants. <laughs> I've talked to engineers though that say I, I tell them like I like I go to conferences, I make content, I talk to people, I go to podcasts, and they're like. I would hate that. I would not want to ever do anything like that. Put me in front of a computer cubicle. Let me just sit there and put me in front of my computer and, and solve interesting problems. And you're you're right. Like it's not for everyone. It's definitely a different kind of mindset and skill shift. And and I like to keep. And it's also yeah, just different parts of, of skills to do it. I, I try to keep up with my programming skills by always being a part of the community, creating cool demos. I also work for a company that has a lot of open source projects where I can still push code if I want to. So that that helps me like keep keep my skills up. Yeah, that's my strong. thing. I mean, I like the, you know, I've spoken at conferences a few times and it's fun to do. It's, you know, when it comes to training or, or conference speaking or stuff like that, whether it's here or the fire service or any other place where I spend time, for me, it's more of a, hey, I learned something cool. I want to share it as compared to just being a speaker and I got to find something to talk about, if you know what I mean. So I'll, I'll go speak or train when I have something that I've learned that I think would be beneficial for other people. But just to be constantly speaking because you have to speak, that's a different story. And then Eric, to your point about keeping your skills up, I know the draw for me a lot of times is, you know, I'll see something, you know, uh, uh, an app that could be used to fill a need and my first thought is, okay, how would I start to do that? I write it with this and I could use this and this. And, you know, and then I want to sit down and write it. <laughs> you know, that's my main thing as compared to, hey, I want to talk about somebody else, right? I want to be the one doing the writing. You know, yeah. so, so for me, an ideal job, I think, would be maybe like a 50-50, you know, where I can code half the time and then be out speaking or, or coordinating with people half the time. I've heard, I've heard of some DAs that do that, that have like hybrid roles that they're still like software engineers day to day, but they've gotten some sort of permission from their management where they can sort of be like a part-time developer advocate. And so they can go out and do the conferences and get those paid for and not have to worry about paying all their way because they're promoting the company. So that might be the best of like both worlds if you really want to do it. Although, you know, I could see that being a little stressful because now you're still having your own deadlines and sprint tasks that you need to do. But now you have to worry about creating a conference talk and and uh, working on your public speaking skills and submitting CFPs. Like they're kind of two completely different types of jobs. I was worried about that too when I moved over to being a DA. It's like, can I still keep up you know, with my tech skills and everything? And so far I'm doing okay. I also, really nice is, uh, at least at AWS, we have a, a, a pretty high bar. So like when I create demos and things like that, I have a whole lot of smart engineers I can send the code to and like, hey, can you guys give me some feedback? Give me a code review. And that helps me like um, make sure that I'm not, that I keep the, the code at high and I still keep learning. Something I'm curious about is how, how do you continue? Like your, the majority of your YouTube channel, I think is mostly like JavaScript related content. Mm -hmm. And... Um, 
like what if you all of a sudden did get interested in Elixir or Python or, you know, something outside of the scope that you traditionally have worked in? Would you share that or is that, do you try to stay within the balance of what you've always done? Yeah. So, well, my, my YouTube channel, um, so we have ways of creating content. So we have a lot of different channels we can push stuff to. Some channels are like DevDoc2 or uh, Hashnode or Medium or these other platforms that, or even LinkedIn, you can write whole blog posts on there. So we have a lot of ideas of where we want content to go. And one of the content places we can go is, is like our own personal YouTube channels. And it doesn't have to be like it, we can post on our own personal YouTube channels, but we can also post on a, um, our AWS blogs that are out there too, uh, or internal blogs. So if I wanted to like completely change like my personal website or my Twitter account or my YouTube channel, that's fine. I can change it to whatever and put whatever content I want out there. That may not be the same, the right place to put some content out for my developer advocacy job. It might be better to put it on some internal blogs and places. So it's really up, up to me. Um, but I still have the freedom to like to do whatever I want on my own personal channels within reason, obviously. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. So what is your main goal as a DevRel? That's the one thing I've been trying to get. So you're obviously working for a company. So I would imagine that your main goal is to promote the company and the company's products, right? While at the same time, and doing that by one, talking about them and how amazing they are, but two, making it easier for developers to integrate your products into their applications or their projects. Is that uh, a fair assessment? Yeah, I kind of like to think about it, DevRel in general, is you're not just promoting products, but you're you're getting awareness out there. You're trying to bring awareness to a product. And that's like one of the number one things that we try to do as a, a DevRels is to bring awareness. And that could be in the form of creating content. It could be uh, creating content on our own sites, external sites. It could be uh, promoting different products that uh, we have a new product launch comes out, could be writing content for that. It could be just talking to users and see how they, um, maybe they never heard of it, just explaining what it does at a conference, at a booth. Or it could be, it's a lot of different things. It's it's sort of, it's not a, a new job title, but it's newish. Like I think only the last three or four years has it gotten really popular, probably due to the pandemic. So many companies went virtual and a lot of companies like, oh, well, we need a developer advocate now. And so, a bunch, or de developer ad, uh, evangelism. So a bunch of companies bought, bought into it during the pandemic. And now we're like starting to answer more of these questions. Like, how do you, how do you take a, a developer advocate? How do you find the return on investment on their time? Like if I fly across, across the country and talk to 30 people at a meetup, uh, and was it worth it? Like, how do we, like, how do we take that 30 people I talked to, or maybe I talked to 50 people. I'm just making this up. Does that, how do we measure the return on investment on you talking to 50 people? And that costs, you know, $3,000 to travel and food and lodging and all that. So it, it, these are like good questions and there's like no really easy answer to all of them. It's a lot of like, um, trying to figure out, like, did you bring awareness, um, it's it's sometimes too like you might talk to 50 people 
and they'll talk to five other, you know, 10 other people. And you have this kind of network effect where eventually your, mm -hmm. your message will get out to, to a lot of people. Uh, it, yeah, these are, these are good questions, but that, that's a long answer to what you're asking, Steve, but awareness maybe is a shorter one. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I would, I would anticipate. You know, if I'm a business owner and I'm going to pay somebody to do some work for me, you know, it's basic, you know, business 101. I need to make sure that the money I'm spending is generating return. Otherwise, you're just throwing it to the wind. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'd say, yeah, that that is important consideration. I think the wrong way to do DevRel is is like take every single piece of content you put out there. And then obviously you want to see views that that's important. But then like adding tracking links and click-through rates and be like, okay, you put this content out on January 3rd on X. And we see you had 300 views, but only 10 people clicked the link. So maybe it wasn't worth it. And I think you could do some sort of tracking, but I think it can get to the place where it 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 doesn't make much sense. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a very challenging problem to quantify and, and <laughs> may even be impossible. Um, yeah. You know, I've, 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 very, I've definitely been exposed to conference talks either in person or through YouTube that did eventually lead to these companies whose developer advocates gave the talks. You know, the company I was working for paid for their product in some one way or another. Um, and there's no way they knew they know that. They just yeah. got a, some money a couple years later and uh, because so-and-so gave a talk. Um, and it, I, I'm curious if a company like Amazon, you know, one of these bigger companies have has created a system or is it just kind of like kind of trust-based like, you know it's a lot of the software day-to-day -day work feels um like hard to quantify but clearly it's working yeah de definitely definitely working they they have lots of different spreadsheets i don't know all the different like ways that they they're quantifying it i probably couldn't talk to that but uh it, it is a hard problem but i think you know, we're, it's an evolving industry and all, and we're just getting better at trying to figure out uh, how it works and how we, how, what DevRels, what, how do they spend their most time? How do they get the most um, yeah. uh, time for it? I guess profit for it or it works out the best for their time that they put out there. I'm yeah. having like word salad here, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, we're hitting about an hour here, so uh, we'll wrap up this part of the conversation. Uh, nice thing about having multiple co-hosts is we can fill an hour a lot easier than me by myself. <laughs> <laughs> for those who are still listening, thank you for listening to our rants and raves about advocacy and Twitch streaming. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are things I hear discussed in other, other places as well, so I know they are topics of interest for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. So with that, we'll move to picks. Picks part of the show where we get to talk about anything else we want to talk about, whether we want to toot our own horn, aka shameless plugs, or uh, or a book, or a movie, or a game, or you name it. So uh, I guess we'll start with Cody. What do you got first for picks, Cody? Oh man, I was afraid you'd pick me first. Uh oh. Um... All right, I'll give you a breath, and I'll do the the dad <laughs> jokes of the, or a chance to catch your breath, and I'll do the okay. dad jokes of the week. How about that? So, uh, as I find my uh, media here. So, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of conversation about 
how things that used to be made in America aren't made in America anymore and you know, made in China or whatever. And I think that's a real shame. Like the other day, I went and bought a TV and it said built-in antenna. I was like, where's antenna? <laughs> and then the quote of the day, this is a very short quote of the day, but it's important to know who made it. So uh, the quote is, eh, good enough. And it's made by a guy named Mediocrates. And then question for the day. I might have used this one last week, so apologies if I did. They all run together after thousands of dad jokes. Um, what do you call soft tissue between a shark's teeth? A slow swimmer. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Right? You don't always have to be the fastest. You just have one person slower than you. Mm -hmm. so. All right, Cody, you had some time. What do you got for a pick for us? Yeah, I got some time. I, fi I figured it out. So um, I got my wife a DJ mixer for her birthday recently. And um, she actually just posted a YouTube video called Hawaii House Mix by Danny Bontecue. And it's just <laughs> been, it's just been, it's been so cool watching her uh, DJ around uh, the house. Like, Basically, I'll be working here coding and she just has a table set up and she's just kind of mixing and doing her thing, taking courses. And so it's um, very, very, very fun. And I'm, I'm very proud of her. Is so, this on YouTube? Yes, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's just, I don't know if, if it comes up. Hawaii House Mix by Danny. Oh, there's a lot. But Danny Bontecue. D-A-N-I or D-A-N-N-Y? D-A-N-Y-B-O-N-T-E-C-O-U. All right. Um, so that's that's probably what I'll be listening to after this as I as I get into some code, and um, recommend you do the same. So now I'm not I'm not much of a uh, of a DJ myself, but <laughs> what was it you talked? You got a mixing station? What'd yeah, you just it? like one of those mixer things. Um, you know, to me when I think like, of a mixer, I think of a mixer with two blades where you're mixing up your you know your whipping cream or something <laughs> like that. So this is kind of, you know how it kind of has like the 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 vinyl like as if there's the vinyl uh things right. that you're okay. kind of like That's what mixing I thought, around yeah. and the buttons and knobs that you're tweaking and everything and um so I get I guess that's really important it's hard to do that live digitally and so they actually kind of carry DJs carry around this kind of controller um to where they play and you know, day two, we actually went to a friend's house this weekend and barbecued. And sure enough, my wife brings out the mixer and she's DJing and all the friends got <laughs> involved. And it was so fun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm old enough to remember time. when the mixing station was a literal vinyl record and you're scratching it with the needle on a, you know, a record player. So, right, right. And now we just simulate that. But right. It sounds similar, I think. Cool. Yeah. I'm noticing she's got a video here of your, um, trip be uh road trip road trip yep. through washington and oregon i gotta watch that yeah 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 she's been she's been doing some youtube videos she's trying to do one a week just as kind of like a side you know side gig to 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 hopefully someday get a remote job so we can you know travel around and be remote digital nomads but um it's fun it's a good good thing to do and I, honestly i love it i love her carrying a camera around and just kind of documenting our life because it's easy to forget some of these things. So having a video is wonderful. Oh, this house mix is like 26 minutes long. 
yeah, it's a proper mix, like a proper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this is kind of a thing, Steve. There's like uh, people like kind of travel the world and make these like very aesthetic electronic music like mixes. Um, and so that's our, our lanai. That's right outside actually where we're recording this is. I, I That's my view. If you see what she's looking at. Wow. Didn't you guys get sort of torched by the fires? Or am I just, I thought Lanai sort of got burned oh, up. Oh, sorry, Lanai as in uh, our porch. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay, I was saying Lanai and Maui. <laughs> Maui got burned. Yeah. Yep. You're on which island are you on? I'm on the big island. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We had, we had fires, but much smaller. Much right. less destructive, yeah. Gotcha. All righty. So yeah, Danny Bontecue, Hawaii House Mix. It's out there. Yeah. So, all right. Eric, what do you got for us for picks? I've been watching TV on in the evenings. I'm watching two shows. One is Strange New Worlds. Uh, it's the new Star Trek show. Any no. New Star Trek oh, right. there. Yeah, yeah. My wife's uh, Trekkie, so she's into that probably. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I I think it's probably one of the best of the new Star Trek shows. Like I watched uh, a few of the others and I thought they were just okay. But the Strange New Worlds uh, is really in- interesting. They're on season two now. And the they just did a musical last week. So if any of you guys are old school Buffy the Vampire Slayers, they had a, a Buffy Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, they did a, a, a musical number in that show. Uh, they did Flash did a musical number too. Uh, and so now, so did Strange New Worlds. They did they did a musical number, which was a really interesting. Actually, it was, it was really fun. It's kind of a cool uh, episode. So uh, I enjoyed that. And then uh, been watching uh, Apple TV and um, one called Silo on Apple TV. It's like kind of sci-fi, futuristic one where all these people are living in the silo and it looks like they can't go outside and there's murders happening and that just wrapped up recently. Ugh. But you know, with this writer strike, I don't know what's going to happen in this, this actor strike. If we're going to get any TV shows for a while. So I might have to be watching some reruns of things uh, coming this fall. Well, you know, what's interesting is, is that's that strike isn't as hardcore as it sounds. And what I mean by that is that there are a number of shows that have been granted exemptions where they can continue acting and writing and so on. Uh, there's quite a list of them, actually. I think the one I was reading about was The Chosen, which is a real popular series based on the life of Jesus. And I think they got an exemption. I've heard there's a number of the exemptions, too. So it's not like hard and fast. Everything is shut down. But at the same time, I'm sure those exemptions are, you know, a drop in the bucket compared to the normal amount of work that's being put out. Maybe we'll go back to like in the 2000s. Like when they everything was reality TV, maybe we'll just get like oh. tons of more reality TV coming out soon. Please no, <laughs> please no. So it, actually, it, and before we go, Eric, you reminded me of a pick I have. So uh, Netflix has a show coming out, and it's not till September eighth called Spy Ops, and it's seven episodes if I remember correctly, and it's all these uh, famous uh, missions, you know. Um, things by various spy agencies throughout the world. So it's not like just the US CIA. There's like MI6 and Mossad and and uh, some other different agencies. It looks really awesome. Um, I think the one from the US that I've seen based on the trailer that's out there is uh, the hunt for Osama bin Laden in Tora Bora in Afghanistan back in probably like 2004, 2005, I think. It looks really fascinating. 
Well, I went to look for it, and it's not out yet. Again, it's it's not out till the first episode is not till September eighth, which is about three weeks as of right now. But I did come across another one, and it's called The Spy, and it's about a true. It's a true story uh, about a spy named Ailey Cohen who spied for Israel against Syria from like nineteen sixty one to nineteen sixty five. And uh, there's six episodes, and I'm about halfway through it. And it's really a, a, a fascinating story. And if you read the Wikipedia page on on him, on Ailey Cohen, E-L-I, like Eli, is how you spell his first name, The he really did some amazing stuff. But what's fascinating about it is who the actor is. Now, most of us think of Sasha Baron Cohen as, you know, like Borat um, or the Ali G Show or some of the, you know, the offbeat comedy stuff he would he would do you know, number, but he's the main actor mm-hmm. in this one as Ailey Cohen. And he's really good. I mean, he's he's really good. The, the story is just, it's really gut-wrenching from a personal point of view and how, you know, as a spy, he's having to hide everything from his family and his, and his wife and everything that's going on. And the end, uh, they sort of shadow it in the beginning, but if you read about it, you, you learn that he was captured by the Syrians and hung publicly. Uh, in Damascus, I believe, which is where he was operating. But but one, it's just a good story all the way around. It's based in reality. And two, you know, the actor, it's interesting when you see someone who's known for comedy and totally goofball stuff, being a very good, serious actor as well. Uh, it's from 2021, I believe, is when it first came out. But it's just called The Spy on Netflix. Really, really good story. Mm-hmm. I have to look, at, look that up. I know he was Sasha Baron Cohen. He was going to be in that Freddie Mercury biopic Queen. Right. The one that Adam Driver was instead? Uh, not Adam Driver. No, not Adam but, Driver. It was Adam something. Uh, it ended up, um, yeah, who was the lead on that? Somebody. He was a guy that had been on American Idol and I forgot. Um, he won the an Oscar Mr. Robot it. guy? Yeah, the Mr. Robot guy. Uh, Rami Malek. Oh, wasn't it? I thought it was Okay, well, I never saw the movie, so maybe that's why I don't remember. It's a great yeah, it was him. That, another one, Mr. Robot, if you haven't seen that, that's a great pick if you haven't seen it. If you're into software development and programming and weird things, it's great. Yeah, cool. All righty, so with that, we will wrap this episode of Use On Up. Thank you to Eric for jumping on literally with 10 minutes notice today. Yeah. Yeah, and for Cody, you know, it's always good to have you. And we will talk at you next time on Views On View.